Hey, this is Cameron Brower, and the Alien Life Podcast starts in... Three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Hey, welcome to the podcast. This is My Alien Life, and I'm Cameron Brower. Thanks for having me. Check out my website, please, at www.myalienlifepodcast.com, and you can get our latest download at iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, and, of course, podbeam.com. That's podbeam.com. I appreciate everyone finding me on social media, and please email me your stories, photos, anecdotes, comments, whatever you'd like. Maybe you'll be on the show and one day sharing your story. My email is cambropod, C-A-M-B-R-A-U-P-O-D at gmail.com. Or you can find links on all my social media outlets, including the website. Hey, merch is coming your way within about the next 24 hours or so, maybe by Monday, and will be available on my website as well as the other media outlets. Something I'm very, very excited about. I was going through all my email today, and thanks so much for your emails and the support, your legends. I uh, appreciate it so much. I wanted to read a couple because some of you had questions, and there were a couple questions that popped up more than once. So um, episode one and two moved kind of fast. Uh, We tried our best to get them up there as fast as we could. So if you have any other comments or, or questions, just please email me. I answer all my emails. And I appreciate every every single one of them. And, and thanks to everyone in Colorado, Utah, Florida, and of course, Montana. I appreciate all the listeners everywhere. Janice in Minot, North Dakota, emailed me and made a comment that was very interesting and it wasn't surprising. She said, you sound nervous. Why do you sound so nervous? Why don't you try to relax a little bit? So that's what we're trying to do tonight is relax a little bit and maybe it'll flow a little nicer. Um, I've never told anyone these stories, Janice. I've been married. I have three kids and no one really knows all these things that have happened to me. So when I actually hear myself talk about it, I feel a little bit uncomfortable and I have to relive all these events that have kind of tucked away and, and never ever thought I would think about or wanted to think about again. So, so yeah, it's, Sometimes I feel a little bit sketchy about this. I feel a little anxious about this. And I hear myself talking about these stories that I've never really told anybody. Um, You know, I wanted to tell people, but uh, it just never really happened. I I tried a few times to tell people, um, but it's just really, really hard, number one, to talk about because it's some of it's really, really scary. The other thing is that, you know, people don't understand. Number one, I think people don't understand people who have been through this. And the other thing is that that since they've never been anything even remotely close to this, it's really hard for them to understand. And uh, knowing that and knowing how I may have felt 
listening to somebody tell a disturbing story that affected their lives. It is. It, I didn't want to put people in that position. I didn't want to that make them feel uncomfortable, which would, of course, make me feel more uncomfortable. So, but I have all these notes that I've kept all these years, and some of the notebooks that I had. You know, I've, I've had them and I've looked at them and, and they're stored away. But, uh, you know, a lot of those things I haven't even looked at or thought about or opened in 25 years. So you've heard me pour over these notes the last couple of podcasts. And um, and uh, when I turn the pages, you know, sometimes I don't even remember my own writing. So you're basically hearing me turn pages that I put in order with some post-it notes and put them in order and... Um, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm going through them a page at a time and I'm reading notes that I haven't seen in, in such a long, long time, you know, and, and they may be pages of notes that I only looked at 10 minutes before the podcast. So yeah, a little jittery, but I have to say this, once I hit the, the publish button and show, and the show hits the website, a lot of that goes away. It feels really, really good to know that you're listening on the other end. So thank you. Thank you for that. And John B., it says, in, he's in Bend, Oregon, and he emailed me and asked me, how many times were you abducted? So thanks, John. Um, I've been put in a lot of different situations in a lot of different years, and there were what you would think as abductions, but um, I guess what you would normally think as an abduction, with me it was a lot different. Um, a lot different than the uh, the abduction stories that you're used to hearing. There were there were a lot of things that happened, and um, we're going to talk about all of them. But yeah, I was put in a lot of different situations, a lot of different situations, and there's a couple of them that were <laughs> really really unique that I, you know, I, I've never heard before. And and uh, you know, when I think about them, it, it's just totally amazing. It's 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 just something that that uh, is absolutely astounding and something that, that you know, I've never even seen portrayed in movies about aliens or, or other, you know, uh, really traumatic events that people have been put through. They were just, they're absolutely amazing. And we're, we're going to talk about them. And, and I guarantee you'll agree that, that, that they were amazing. And, and um, you know, hopefully it'll be something that, that you've never heard of either. So we can talk about it and generate a lot of questions. And, and a lot of talk back and forth. And I, I'm looking forward to that because it, it just feels really good to get that, again, publish that and, and to see that other people are finally um, reading that or hearing about that. So, um, And then finally, Rebel in Wakefield, Michigan says, can you elaborate on what happened at the eighth grade kegger? What? <laughs> it wasn't a kegger for eighth graders. Um, it was actually a high school senior kegger. Uh, my best friend was... And uh, he was a freshman. I was in eighth grade. We had been best friends all our lives. And, and he had his driver's license. And, and we went to that kegger. And uh, um, Rebel wants to hear more about it. Um, he says, that's a long time for you to be gone or wherever you were. So, yeah, thanks, Rebel. Um, I appreciate the, the question. Yeah, no kidding. Six hours. Um, it was a long time ago. That's one of the things that I really, really remember vividly um, when I think back at all the things that have happened and I look over my notes, um, that kegger was uh, something that really, really stood out. I had mentioned um, that uh, growing up in Montana, I grew up out on the prairie, out in the middle of nowhere, and um, 
you have these spots out there where I grew up and, um, you know, there's something about those spots and I don't know what that is. Um, still trying to discover what that is, but this was one of those spots. And, um, yeah, I went to my first kegger when I was in, in eighth grade, my best friend who was a freshman, he drove us out. There was this big, big grass covered gully. Um, basically you could look out over the prairie and it was flat as the eye could see, but once you drove out there, it kind of dropped off and you could just drive down into this area. And, and, you know, I knew the place was there and my friends and I knew other friends who had gotten together there, um, being in a small community, you know, you kind of, um, did stuff with even kids that were older than you. So, um, I spent a lot of time with kids that were older than me and younger than me. And, um, in the little, little town that I grew up near, it was just, it was one of those places where everybody hung out with each other, you know, no matter how old you were, just because that's all there was. That's all there, there was nothing else to do. And we just found each other. And, and, um, once we left our house in the morning to have fun with our friends, I mean, it was, it was like a big group and we would run into, you know, just a few, a few people, um, our own age and, and some, maybe some older kids and some younger kids when we were out running around the streets or running around on the prairie. And, um, you know, we were all close. It was a big, it was, it was, it was a small group, probably never, they're probably in that town, in that area, there probably never was more than 16 kids, but, uh, we got together a lot. So, um, I wasn't a drinker. I mean, there were a lot of kids that drank uh, at that time, you know, in the middle of, uh, the prairie, you could go out and find yourself, uh, bored <laughs> for lack of a better term. And, uh, you know, some kids, you know, there was a few drugs going around marijuana. Um, some kids are drinking alcohol. I, I wasn't, um, my parents were fairly strict and I, and in no way that I wanted to get in trouble, but, uh, um, yeah, we would, we would, uh, uh, run around on the prairie and people would party on the prairie and people would hunt on the prairie and uh, the prairie was a good place, except there was a few things that have happened to me out there that, that, uh, there's some of those places I really don't want to go back to. Um, so yeah, I was, I found myself at this as kegger and, and, uh, there was just a few people there. I wasn't going to drink and, and, uh, never had drank before. And, um, went down and sat by this fire and it was a really nice fire they had there. And you could see that this, this, uh, fire pit had been there a while because it's made out of some pretty substantial rocks. And there was a bunch of wood that looked like it had been piled there for a long time. And it looked like it was pieces of old buildings that were, uh, boards were probably torn from long, long time ago and, um, were laying out on the prairie and all these guys and girls went and picked up all this wood and having this nice fire. And there's a few cars parked down there and, and, uh, the front ends of the cars were kind of facing the fire and, and, um, yeah, it was a nice place. Uh, you know, not too many mosquitoes, um, that time of the year it was spring and, and I was, just kind of found myself sitting on the only rock there looking at this fire for, for a few minutes. I don't know how long I was there. I don't really remember that part, but there was this guy that was from my hometown. His name was Eric and he was always really nice to me and he had his own truck and, and, uh, I think Eric spent most of his time driving, um, back and forth around the small towns in our County. And, and, uh, you know, he had this, this truck that I imagine he probably put together 
in high school shop. Uh, it was really painted nice. And he came over and asked me how I was doing, you know, whether I was drinking or not. And I said, well, I don't drink. And he says, yeah, you probably shouldn't drink. And, um, so we talked a little bit and he goes, do you want something to drink? And I said, yeah, no, I can't really have a beer. I'm not going to drink beer. And he goes, I think I have a great pop in my truck. So I said, yeah, that'll work. So we walked over to his truck and, and he opened the door and, and, um, you know, there, there was some music going on and one of the vehicles had the, the trunk open and, and, uh, somebody I knew was probably playing music. It was probably an eight track, eight track tape player, which was pretty awesome back then. And so Eric grabs me this pop from behind his seat. It was a grape soda. And, um, you know, if I remember that it was warm, um, you know, it was warmer, the, the, the grape soda was warmer than the, the outside temperature by a lot. So nice to have something warm in my hand. It was kind of cold out and I was only wearing this sweatshirt and, uh, had this jean jacket on that, on over that. And it, it just wasn't really warm. So I sat by the fire and I remember cracking open that grape soda and just sitting and watching the fire and taking a drink. It felt pretty good because it was warm. And, and, you know, I, I, as a kid, I, I never really wore a watch. Um, but, you know, as getting to that age where, you know, my parents wanted to be, wanted me to be home at certain times. And there was a couple of situations where I found myself out on the prairie when I was a lot younger, a few years, maybe five years younger. And, um, and I lost track of time. So, um, you know, my mom bought me a watch. So I had this watch, didn't use it much, had it on that day. Um, I had it on because I knew I had to be home by midnight. So had this watch sitting there drinking this grape soda, a really nice night. There was some music playing. And so I looked at my watch and it was 10 exactly. And I remember that. I remember, you know, it was just this plain Jane wind up watch. Uh, wasn't even battery powered. And um, don't even know if you could have gotten battery powered watches back then, but you know, I had to be home at 12, so it was 10 p.m., and I remember sitting there a little while and looked at my watch again, and apparently I was bored because it was like 10.02, 10.03, something like that. And I just stared at the, the fire and was kind of listening to the people, and they, they weren't very loud, you know. It was kind of a mellow party. Um, I guess there was probably three cars, maybe four, um, and probably about eight people at the party. Um, that included me and my friend. Um, we were sitting, or I was sitting there and everyone's standing to my left there. And I remember a moment where I just took the sip of the soda and I just faintly taste the grape. And then there was like no sound at all. And there was no taste. I didn't mention in the podcast that, yeah, there was no sound from the people. But I had, was in the middle of taking a sip of this grape soda and all the taste was gone. There was just nothing. I mean, there was just this feeling of nothingness. And, and uh, I was aware of this slight ringing in my ears. It was kind of a real strange feeling and, and um, I don't know, maybe a numbness and ringing in my ears. And, and then all of a sudden I was, I, I was sitting there looking across at the fire pit and about 30 feet away, I think, you know, about 30 feet away, I was looking directly in front of me and I could see something sitting there and there was kind of a weird glow to it. And, um, and then I was 
kind of just wondered like who else was drinking grape soda? You know, I thought I had the only one because like it looked like a can of grape soda sitting over there and it glowed a little bit and I couldn't figure out why it was glowing. Um, and then I was very aware of a little bit of smoke rising out of the fire pit and there was no fire and there was just enough light coming from the headlight of the car to my left to illuminate the people that were standing there. And I could, they were more like shadows than people. And it was illuminating this grape soda and I could tell it was a grape soda and it wasn't, you know, it was kind of the little backdrop behind it was kind of a dirt mound. Like you would see if a, a gopher had dug a hole there and it was sitting on this, probably a gopher mound with grass in the background. And, um, you know, I, I was aware that there was, <laughs> I'm looking at a grape soda, which, which that was basically the only thing going in my on, on my mind at that moment. Like what, why is there a grape soda there? And then the ringing in my ears was gone. And then there was a slight breeze that, that, uh, was, was cool, very cool. And, and, um, it seemed like the breeze came through and it made the people move at the same time. And, uh, even though no one was talking, you could hear the breeze. And other than that, everything was silent other than just this little breeze that just went through the, this gully. And, um, I noticed the headlights of the car were slightly yellowish and I was realizing right then, you know, in addition to this grape pop that I recognized, grape soda, I was very aware that the batteries of the car were probably going dead because it was yellowish. So, um, and the other thing, it was much colder. It, it's several degrees, maybe 10 degrees even colder and very noticeable. So again, I had the sweatshirt and a jean jacket on and, and I just kind of reached and started buttoning up a couple of buttons. And, and while I was walking toward that grape soda, I was just kept looking at that grape soda. And at that moment standing there, I was, I buttoned one more button and I just looked at my hands because I, <laughs> I was, wasn't holding the can of grape soda anymore. I mean, I literally had it up to my lips and it just seemingly, you know, disappeared with everything else. And, and when everything else changed, like it was colder and, and quieter and, and it, everything was different. There was no fire anymore. Um, so I walked up to the can of grape soda, reached down, picked it up. Yeah, it was sitting on a gopher mound. It felt exactly like it did when I had it in my hand before. The temperature was the same. Um, it felt warmer just because of the, the air was colder. And just I just was wondering and wondering, how did it get there? And that's what was kind of going through my mind. And that was, that was the only thing. Like, how, how did that get from my hand over there? So then I tasted it, and it was my grape soda. How did it get there? I mean, that, that, that was my grape soda. I mean, it tasted the same. It was the same, same temperature, uh, same temperature in my mouth, in my hand, the same grape taste. Um, then I was wondering, why was it so quiet? Why was it so quiet? What was different and, and what changed and what, you know, there wasn't a lot in my mind other than the soda, but the quietness and, and everything was different. I think I was stunned. I just really had no way to process, you know, literally a night and day difference from when I sat down on that rock and took that sip of soda 
to the time that I reached down and picked up that soda and took the second sip. Things had changed. So then a couple kids moved. I could, I could kind of hear. It wasn't really talking, but I was aware that they were over there moving. And then they were getting into the car, and a couple of the kids were leaving. And it made me think of my watch. So I looked at my watch. 345. It was, it was 3.45 in the damn morning. I don't remember even at that short point in my lifetime ever being up till 3.45 in the morning. I just thought, oh, my God, how could this happen? How could I? What happened? How could this happen? So, you know, this was, this was before drugs and things like that and, and things that could happen, bad things that could happen to good kids. Um, had no idea. And uh, so I yelled to my buddy, Scotty, where are you? So, Scotty. So he yelled back at me, and it's, it's like uh, <laughs> he yelled, it's almost 4 in the morning. We have to get out of here. And, and uh, why didn't you wake me up? And I was like, why didn't I? W- <laughs> I don't, it, was, it wasn't comical then. I mean, I was, I was scared, you know, because I, I knew, I knew that, that I was going to be in trouble. So um, he's asking me, why didn't you wake me up? And, you know, we had only been there like five minutes, so I, I really didn't know what to say other than I was scared and uh, we needed to get back home right away. So um, we jumped in the car. We weren't very far from, from town. Um, yeah, the car started just fine. Uh, we backed up. We turned around, um, drove out of the gully, hit the gravel road, and uh, I... I I didn't know what to say, you know. I, I wanted to say something about it. I wanted to uh, hear what Scotty had to say and find out what happened. But on the way back home, you know, I asked Scotty why he was sleeping. And he said he didn't think he was sleeping. Um, but that was the only thing I could think of talking about. I just said, you know, Scotty, why, why why'd you go to sleep? You know, where were you sleeping? And he, he had no idea what I was talking about. He said he wasn't sleeping. Um I think he told me he was leaning against the hood of his car and he was talking to somebody. And that was it. We never talked about it again. Um, I wanted to talk about it. I kind of brought it up or not really brought it up, but I made segues and conversations that I, I could, I could basically jump into that conversation, but I, I couldn't jump into that conversation. Um, I don't know why it had, didn't have anything to do with fear. Um, it just, it just seemed, like nobody would be interested in that, even though I thought about it over and over and over again. I always thought about it, but um, I didn't think anybody else would be interested in it. Um, I wondered thousands of times what could have happened, but I just, I just couldn't have that conversation. So um, 20 minutes later, I walked into my house undetected. My parents had no idea where I was and uh, got into bed and started dreaming. Um, I think I started dreaming. And it was a dream that I'd had probably, I don't know, maybe since a, at times I think, you know, around second or third grade, I started having these dreams, but I, I think I had them maybe before I was even ki- in kindergarten. Um, the dream was I'm in this room and um, it's just fairly square, um, no features to it at all. Um, and there's no light in the room. There's no, I mean, no place I could look at on the walls or there's no lamps or there's no light in the ceiling, but it's very bright in there and uh, overly bright. 
and it's turquoise. I mean, the walls are this turquoise. I can't even explain the turquoise color. Um, like really, really, really tacky paint that maybe uh, somebody in their 70s would have painted their house back in the 1970s or painted the inside of their house. Um, but it's turquoise room, and I, I'm, I'm in there with uh, two really tall, yellow-haired women, and um, and I could see one in front of me, but I'm aware that there's one behind me because I look up, and there's hands on my shoulders. I can feel these hands on my shoulders, and talking about it, I can feel them. I could feel them right now, like it was, like it was then. You know, I can feel these hands on my shoulders, and I look up and I see this woman with this long yellow hair, and in this version of the dream, Scotty's standing in front of me. He's looking straight at me, but without any emotion. His eyes were looking almost through me. Um, an identical yellow-haired woman, you know, she's standing there right to his left side. He looks up at her like I looked up at the yellow-haired woman. I have no recollection of that these women were wearing clothes. Um, the one standing next to Scotty was holding something that caught my eye, and it's that damn grape soda. <sighs> there's a grape soda in the room and the yellow haired woman is fascinated by it, looking at it. And, and you know, I, I remember thinking and maybe think it could be in a later similar dream. Is it a he or a she? I think, I think they're yellow haired women, but at times I seem to drift in and out of the dream as I try to determine what kind of woman this was, or if it was a woman and, and, you know, my mind wanders, but it's not like a dream, though. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm reasoning in, in, in real time, you know. I'm thinking about this like I, I normally would if I'm awake. Um, the yellow-haired woman with the soda reached out her arm a great distance, and for a moment I could see the can of soda in her hand, which her hand seemed really odd, and it was like the color of greenish-brown mud and kind of like the texture of mud. And the hand didn't seem to have enough fingers, even though the shape looked like a human. Um, it was a rough kind of shape with, with crude fingers, almost like a mitten. And she kind of put her arm out, like straight out, and long arms, like, like six-foot-long arms, and kind of reached out with a can of soda. And the can of soda it just literally faded away and it was gone. And then she started to pull her hand back, like to put her hand back down to her side. And there was some kind of resistance that she was pulling against. And, and that resistance finally let go and her arm and her hand jerked back at the same moment. And there was this, this, this audible plopping sound. And, and that's a sound that I heard in other dreams. And it's a sound that, that I can hear right now. It's very familiar, um, very familiar sound. And I don't really remember being amazed by a disappearing can of grape soda. I do remember the ringing in my ears, and the room began to feel really, really dense, like we're, we're in water, like like a body temperature water, but there's some kind of resistance all the way around my whole body. Um, but I can breathe fine. I mean, I can breathe, you know, for a minute there, I, I felt like I was, I was afraid to take a breath because maybe I was in water, but no, it was just some kind of resistance that, that 
every square inch of my skin was being touched and um, it, it, hard to explain, but yeah, like almost like I was in water. Then the walls of the, ro- of the room became rounder and the color turned to that same greenish brown that the, you know, greenish brown mud that the yellow, the color of the yellow haired woman, really her hands and her arms. And the woman in front of me suddenly, she started to blend into the wall color with the exception of the hair. I mean, she just blended into the wall color. color. Everything in the room, including these two women, were the same color. The room was the same color. The women were the same color, other than the hair. And the one in front of me started disappearing into the wall, or if it like she was, it, it was like almost she was color blending into the wall and fading away, except, except her hair was still there. That bright yellow, shiny hair that wasn't really hair at all. Um... It was yellow. It looked familiar. I, I'd seen it before or maybe seen it later. I don't know. I, it wasn't until around 10 years later that I realized it wasn't hair. Um, we'll talk about that another time, but the color was spot on to yellow hair, but it wasn't hair. It looked, it looked like a long hat that started at the uh, front of her head and went down the back of her head and back of her neck slightly and the woman behind me was gone. The woman in front of me was gone. And then the shiny hats just faded away. Scotty and I are still both in that greenish-brown, mud-colored room with rounded walls. And he's looking directly at me. And he opens his mouth. Still looking through me, looking at me. He opens his mouth like he's going to speak. And then I wake up. So after getting up that morning, I was freaked out, um, zoned out, kind of spent the whole day in the house. And one of the things, it didn't matter if I was inside the house or outside the house, I could smell this smell. It was like burning meat in like a cheap aluminum frying pan. Um, my mom had a, a, a big aluminum frying pan she used all the time. She would she would brown a roast beef on Sunday, similar, similar to that, but more metallic. I'd be outside. I could smell it. Um, I'd be inside. I could smell it. And I think that was the first time that I experienced that smell, but I smelled it many, many times after that. And it lingered through the house and outside most of that Sunday, Monday at school, I could smell it. I'm walking in the hallways at school, I can smell it. At noon, I was at lunch. I could smell it. I could smell the lunchroom. I could smell the different lunchroom smells. I know we had goulash that day, macaroni with hamburger and tomatoes, but I could still smell that metallic meat-burning smell. And I could feel the hands on my shoulders. But when I'm walking around the school, hands on my shoulders felt for some reason like they were hooked up to a part of a longer thing like longer arms with with hands touching my body touching my shoulders really 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 long hands and really really long long arms um connected to my shoulders and they felt for some reason i had this this visual that these hands were connected to arms that were miles long maybe even hundreds of miles. And during math class, which I hate math, 
always hated math, still hate math. I was asked to solve a problem on the chalkboard. And um, <laughs> so I walked up there and reluctantly gave it a try. And at that moment, I could see the problem in my mind and I could see the solution in my mind. I was excited. I was going to write it all down on the board quickly and perfectly and impress everyone. Then I had the sensation of my shoulder all the way to my hands like they were like they were going to sleep or something was exiting my hands, arms and shoulders, through my shoulder blades, like a numbness, but a pulling numbness, like millions of threads exiting my body at once. So I wrote the problem expertly on the board straight out of the textbook. The solution and the threads had been pulled from my body. I couldn't remember the solution. <laughs> Not even close. I did write the problem. It looked great up there. But, um, and then I remember thinking, so what? I'll, I'll never use algebra again. Hey, this is Cameron Brower. I want you to get out there, see the world, be the world. Thanks, everybody, for emailing me. Thrills me to see your emails. I love it. Please send me more emails. Send me more show ideas and send me your photos, anecdotes, comments, whatever you'd like. Um, maybe I'll have you on the show. I'd love to have you on the show. I'm sure you had a great story. Check out my website, please, at www.myalienlifepodcast.com. And, of course, you can get our latest download at iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, and, of course, podbean.com. Thanks for having me, and see you next week for another My Alien Life Podcast.